another episode of Pagan Decorators podcast. Today, Andy and I are going to be talking about heat printing on site at events. So about a month ago, I think it was, we went up to London with Heated Words who were putting on an activation in one of the stores up there at Waste London. And it was really great to see them using the equipment to portray sort of their message and their story of what their project is all about. Um, And we do have a little interview that we did or Andy did with them when we were at the store that we're going to play in the second half of this podcast. But... Just for a bit of context, I wanted to talk about heat printing on site and for anybody Mm -hmm. that maybe for this year is sort of thinking of doing that with their business, we could talk about why it would be a good option for them and how they can get started, basically. Yeah, I think as you kind of start to plan out your 2024, especially for those that do on-site printing or event printing, is now's the time to start thinking about it, is what equipment do I need? How do I want to run it? What can I do differently? think i always see with especially with like music events and even some of the bigger festivals or any festivals i mean there's a lot of festivals in the uk again mm-hmm. i don't have any stats to 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 go with that but you know like you know once it gets into like april may there's there's a festival in every county on every weekend yeah. so there's a big printing opportunity but there's a there's always loads of waste that goes with i mean no pun intended i guess because we're talking about an event at waste london but <laughs> Um, <laughs> I didn't even make that connection until you just said that. But there is always like loads of t-shirts left over because yeah, pre-printed you think, ones pre-printed you ones, people, yeah, yeah, they're just essentially, you know, what they're going to do, go in landfill, I suppose, which we don't really want to see either because it's not a good use of finances, it's not a good use of time. Materials, but, yeah. And especially with something like direct-to-film transfers where you can hot-peel them after 10, sec- 10 12 seconds, it's actually, well you can just easily heat print on demand. And Mm. even with the heated words ones, when they were doing flock letters and they were pre-die cut letters that they're having to place each one and they could be pre-doing 14 at a time, they were still doing it really quickly. So you could very easily do, even on like a large scale event like, you know, Glastonbury or Reading or Leeds Festival, you could still do print on demand at one of those events because it's only, you're not really taking that much more equipment with you, but the actual amount of um, wasted t-shirts is nil because Mm -hmm. you can just sell those t-shirts back, use them as a different event or um, keep them for next year because black is black each year anyway, as long as you store them out of the sun they'll yeah, exactly. be just as good the following year yeah and obviously there's no point pre-printing all of them to then not sell them because if you are printing for a festival for example they're all dated yeah so the second that event is over people then don't have an interest in buying them so no. it's i suppose it's a slightly different story if you're selling your brand garments and they're going to be the same throughout the yeah. year but even in that scenario i still personally think there's something quite special about having something printed at the event you go to like having it made for you at that event is almost like a memory or experience that kind of thing yeah well you can kind of do a bit of both if it's a brand you could always pre-print a certain amount or here's how many i sold last year i'll do pre-print that amount yeah but i'll also take a heat press and some extra transfers in case i get an extra 10 percent of business because people are coming back or i do a better job this year Uh, but it also means if you've done it you know you pick a a design you like that just didn't work you don't have to wait all you're going to do is you might throw away the transfers or you might just put them into storage and use them on a different project a different day but you've not wasted the t-shirt two three pound per person per t-shirt as well to go with it yeah 
And I suppose you could always take, like you say, preprint the designs that you know are popular and successful, but then also do the personalization at the store. So rather yeah. than topping up your inventory, you could also add like the date or someone's name or a bit like what Heated Words were doing. They were sort of letting people pick what they wanted it to say on the T-shirt as well as yeah. pick from one of three designs kind of things. There's multiple ways you can do it. Which you could charge more money for as well. You could Very charge an extra couple of pounds to put... If you made each T-shirt different, that's kind of quite a nice USP for what you're doing at the event as well. Yeah, no one else is ever going to have the exact same T-shirt as you. No, and it's really easy to get a good setup as well mm-hmm. because literally all you need is a heat press. I would go a Max Press or an Auto Open Heat Press are the yeah. best ones, and I'd probably have it on a caddy stand, a, count, a tabletop caddy stand, okay. because it would just be easy. You want that threadability still, but you don't want to take up lots of room. Mm-hmm. And then just need either a roll of direct film transfers or just a pack of ultra color, one to five color screen, whatever pre-cut, it is. Pre-cut, pre-cut yeah. <laughs> or if you have it on the roll and you've done it neatly, you can just kind of keep pulling the roll. Like you could almost put like on a kit, like one of those like kitchen roll holders, like a butcher paper <laughs> yeah. holder, and just keep pulling them off um, and cut them when you need them. But that's all you need to do. I and mean, we saw it. We um, we remember. Print my own promotion in 2023. We did it for Bella Canvas. They were they had the same design. Yes. But the spray the um, the spray paint was doing on the t-shirts. So they just had a roll that they just reeled off, cut one design off, fused yeah. it, and then gave it to him, and he painted it around the outside. That was really cool as well. See, that's yeah. another way of doing it. Another example, sorry, of activation on yeah. site. It doesn't always have to just be, you know, this uh, what other people have done, like the same one design, one t-shirt kind of thing. Yeah, you know, and get creative. That's what they do at, at the Super Bowl. You know, we were the and we were the ones doing it for them. Uh, is that you know maybe there's something in that? Perhaps if that's what uh, one of the biggest sports in it in the world chooses to do for their on-site activation, that maybe yeah. everyone should do it. And that, but that was because they wanted to customize everything. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you transfers are going to get the best finish as well. So if someone is going to put that t-shirt straight away and wear it all day you want something that's thin and smooth it's long enough to dry yeah especially yeah. in the summer as well you don't want that thick like dtg print that sometimes can be a bit bulky especially if you're doing volume of them yeah they don't always feel that nice to wear but especially a nice transfer on there yeah it will feel much better yeah it's almost like it's instant isn't it i mean i know obviously yeah. we say don't wash it for a couple of days but so but you can tell them that like but you can wear it from the day that you physically yeah. print it at the event yeah you know, and you could, and it doesn't just have to be t-shirts. It could be anything. It could be, you could do the hoodies as well. Mm-hmm. You could do any accessories like hats at events are Take a really great way to do. It. Yeah. Take the three sixty. I mean, it takes marginally longer. If you're just doing a transfer, it's going to be like twelve mm-hmm. to twenty seconds. But even uh, putting patches on can just take forty-five seconds, and then it's done. Yeah. Then everyone at a summer festival wants a hat, and so many people forget the hat. Well, they'll see a cooler one because they you know they've not seen what you can do with a 360 before yeah. they don't know it's a thing they're like wow i'll have one of those and you'll have a captive audience so you can charge more money for it as well yeah yeah you just spin off the one that they're currently wearing and yeah chuck the new one on yeah just you know add to their collection when I mean, we've spoken about that before about how people in the uk have multiple hats now for different occasions different occasions yeah. you know festivals or events were nice um they're a nice souvenir to bring back from that you can yeah. wear it again and again but don't feel like they don't date because of it. Yeah. I think as well with the 360, you just said, oh, it takes obviously 45 seconds is longer mm. than the 10 or 12 second transfer fuse. But even for, for us as printers, that seems longer. But then if you think if you're walking 
along at a festival and you see you get custom hat in under a minute that's that's nothing yeah. is it that still seems plus so you can because the 360 is so small you could take two or three to an event so it's mm. not really like 45 seconds every single time it's 45 seconds per person but you could do three at a time yeah so you're actually using quite good efficiency still and you can get through multiple people at a time so it's kind of still only like 15 seconds per person because yeah. you can just go one two three uh, and then it's all done next three all done move on yeah that yeah. line will go down super quickly exactly so it's still possible to get it done mm -hmm. um but you you know your profit margin at a festival or an event i mean you could be looking at sort of 25 30 pound a hat profit I mean, minimum. Oh, yeah. profit. I was going to say yeah. cost. I was like, yeah. minimum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'd sell them for a lot more. Yeah, than some that. of the high end ones, you, I've seen them just a normal hat with a patch you do with a 360 for like 70, 80. Yeah. There's nothing special about them. They're just, you know, people have a, you know, they're all in a great, positive, emotional place when they're at events and like excited. I want something. Yeah. You know, and because you. A little know, bit more carefree, you, maybe. Yeah. I'll just worry about that tomorrow. <laughs> two clicks on your iPhone yeah. and, and you paid for it. Mm hmm. It's just it's easy like that so but that could be true of any single event anyway it's not it doesn't have to be like a music festival it could just be like a a summer a summer fate yeah. that they just people are selling t-shirts out or any kind of i don't know a football tournament or rugby sevens tournament you could just have stuff going on on the side or even just like a beer festival yeah, I mean, there's lots of yeah. them in the UK, and I'm really not sure to those. People just want the merchandise, don't they? Yeah, it just gives them a nice memory, especially if you can get a cool design done on it. Yeah. Then, you know, people will wear and wear and wear that top. Um, so, and it's, you know, it's just easy, isn't it? Yeah, That's the, the thing. quality of what, you can, of what you guys listening will print will be so much better than what we've both personally experienced mm. at concerts and sports yeah. games and you know some stuff you get is of good quality but then sometimes you get like the scratchy t-shirt with the rough print yeah. and you think I'm still paying like 50 pounds for this t-shirt and I know that it costs yeah. however much to make and it's not even that comfortable to wear like you either won't buy them or you'll regret it the second you get yeah. home so there really is an opportunity to produce the higher quality level yeah. of garment printing in that sense yeah and then we saw that at um heated words event at West London is that 100%. they just had the auto open they had their flock letters and they were going you know like I said they were having to singly place each letter but they were still going through it really quickly um, and it proved really a really fun event people were having a great time they got mm. everyone got to have a unique top but it was also kind of timeless because of the nature of their project they're on and Rory will explain more about that in the interview that we get to in a minute but, you know, people had a real good feeling from actually seeing the behind the curtain of how it's made as well. I think they all kind of quite enjoyed seeing the, how the heat press did it and it had a bit of a wow factor and a bit of a buzz because of that too. Yeah, and like you say, it's just so easy to do, isn't it? I think people, when you say, oh, you know, live heat printing or heat print on site, it almost seems like a massive overwhelming task of, oh, no, I couldn't do that. And, but it's it's so easy to do no. with the heat press now. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, you pull it up and up and down that's it yeah <laughs> plug it in uh you just need to you know you have a good electrical connection and that's it you're off yeah and you just go and go and go i definitely recommend the auto open though because if you end up talking to people and then you haven't mm. to pull your max clap yeah. up i think yeah the auto would be a good idea even in retail activations you see the hotronics auto and the max quite a lot so yeah. next time you're out in the shops and you see even if it's got a tiny dtg printer or mm -hmm. rather than just transfers you'll often see it's always the hotronics and the auto because you want guaranteed consistency and you want you to be able to take that press around the UK or around the world 
depending where you're listening to this. So it's always good to have a dependable press. Um, but as we say, we, we saw this in action at Waste London a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things we did while we're there was we got, I got to interview Rory from Heated Words. So we're going to go to that interview. I think it was Charlie you interviewed. You might want to say that again. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, no, you're all right. So I got to interview Charlie from Heated Words. Mm -hmm. Have a really exciting project. He's going to explain all about their book and the project they're working on in this interview. So um, I'm really pleased that we finally got to spend some time talking to them about it because it's a really interesting journey they're on and a different angle of heat printing and heat printing within the culture of the last 30, 40 years. So yeah. um, we'll head over to that interview now. Hi, it's Andy from Stars. I'm here today at Waste in London on Hackney Road. I've come to see the fantastic pop-up that Heated Words is doing. I'm here with Charlie from Heated Words. Thank you so much for letting us come and film this event because it's really exciting, this project you've got going on here. So before we get into the shirts that you're going to be doing today, can you tell us a little bit about the Heated Words project, how we get started, a little bit more information for everyone. For sure. So uh, Heated Words uh, started about eight years ago. Essentially, there was a old English-style typeface that only really, in fact, is only seen uh, as heat press flock flattering. Yep. Uh, predominantly from the early 70s through the 80s, and it cropped up everywhere within sort of counterculture pop culture, so thinking street gangs, breakdancers, uh, hip-hop, early hip-hop especially. Um, growing up, myself and my partner Rory on the project were sort of really into that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and we always wanted to make a t-shirt with these letters, we always wanted to kind of know where they came from, and I think we always expected somewhere along the line we would figure it out, we would find them. Um, as we kind of literally went from our teens into our 20s and then our 30s, we still hadn't really, were none the wiser. Uh, and we basically said one night, if we don't figure this out, no one is going to yeah. figure it out. So we started to kind of research it. We kind of had, like I said, we'd seen this thing crop up in a few places, and that led us on to finding more images or little you know, nuggets of information or understanding like heat pressing and, and you know, flocking and all these processes. Um, and as that kind of carried on, we accumulated all this stuff. So we did an exhibition in London about 10 years, no, not even, sorry, about eight years ago we did an exhibition in London, uh, thinking that'll be the end of it, nice <laughs> little project. All it did... Climbed was, Everest. Yeah, uh, except for that we weren't, we were yeah. not even at base camp. <laughs> so we um, sort of dutifully kind of carried on researching it. We started to make a documentary, COVID rolled around, uh, we had all these assets, we had all this information, um, and we pivoted into doing a book. Uh, Rory, my partner on the project, is a create, art director, creative director, and so it was quite, uh, you know, something that kind of came quite naturally. Um, so yeah, so the book came out earlier in the year. Uh, I think it was about 280 pages, about 300 images, about 90,000 words of copy. Uh, really delves into not only the history of the typeface, as best as we could kind of um, understand it, but also, you know, typography, um, you, know, where, you know, going back to the original roots of typography and black letter and, you know, monks in the 1400s, uh, you know, the original kind of Gutenberg Bible kind of stuff. Goes into heat pressing and, and uh, iron-on lettering and how that kind of came about. Uh, it goes on to, the, it talks about, you know, where this, this, this idea of, like, embellishing clothes, personalising clothes, especially with lettering, but kind of with everything kind of came from. Um, you know, which is obviously a huge part of 20th century culture, uh, but it really, and 21st century culture, but you know, it really kind of didn't start until the 20th century. 
Um, so it kind of runs a gamut. And um, we always say that letters are a red thread that kind of run through culture. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it gives you a really unique insight into all of these things, some of which have been written about a million times, the history of hip hop, the history of punk. We kind of tie them all together. Uh, and it's been really, really well received. We're really excited. Yeah, it's, I mean, we were fascinated when we heard about it because obviously, as one of the originators of heat transfer vinyl, and actually the first thing we ever did as a business in the 1930s was die cut block lettering. So for us, we're like, oh, this is, we were loving it. This is there the nerdy go. stuff that we love yeah. to talk about. But it was really fascinating for everyone involved in styles because you know, I showed, it, showed your font to quite a few people and they're like, oh yeah, that's styles old English or it's this old yeah. English. And then you get to reading your book and looking at it like, no, it's really not. But the, like you say, this red thread that's gone through, there is a very specific version of that font. Yeah. And it's not what everyone else thinks. It's a familiarity that everyone has it. And I know when we, when we first spoke, I was like, yeah, I know that font. I recognize yeah. it. I, don't, I, couldn't, I could not tell you where I first saw it, but I know I've always known it. it it's, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, again, so when we first started this, you would ask people, or you actually, you would Google it, and you would find, you know, there's a website called What the Font, I think it was, and they would yeah. have people would say, write down, oh, it is this. And it's like, well, that isn't right. I know yeah. that's not right. And so that kind of pushed us on. But it does look like a lot of things. Every day on Instagram, somebody sends us a photograph, and it will be one of the other old English, yeah. you know, iron-on typefaces. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, funny. And, and sometimes it's nothing like it whatsoever, <laughs> which, you know, goes to show. I think some people pay attention a little bit more than others. But, you know, a huge part early on was, was you know, brands like yours, you know, kind of getting in touch with them, seeing if they knew anything, but also, you know, trying to get hold of old catalogues, get hold of, mm. you know, anything we could find um, to kind of try and understand, you know, the kind of history of the, the, these letters and where they came from. And, and as I said, that, that whole kind of world, that process... Um, because everything we learned kind of is another step on the journey, really. Yeah, there's, there's, I find there's certain letters you're like, that's not far off, but there's others you're thinking, like, that's not even close, is it? Yeah, play. I mean, the letters don't make sense. There's a mix of upper <laughs> and lowercase lettering. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at them, they're not balanced. The traditional typography, everything is kind of harmonised, and you, there's a lot of effort put into making sure that things kind of mirror each other. This isn't like that. And people have tried to recreate it as a, a traditional mm -hmm. typeface, as a font. It doesn't work because they always attempt to, you know, make it very uniform. And that's the, the one thing it isn't. Right. And, you know, it's, it's kind of goes perhaps against what guys, you know, you guys do. But, like, even the application of it is kind of has to be a certain kind of shoddiness to it. You know, this was, <laughs> this was done in kind of like, you know, like probably not the most... Um, you know, polished of kind of, uh, of, of, of establishments back in the right. day. So, they, you know, it was quick. People were just getting it done. So, you know, People having their ears pierced with needles exactly. in, the, in the other corner yeah. of the room. Yeah. <laughs> and also things like, you know, oh, we've run out of W's. All right, we'll turn the M upside down. We'll use the, we haven't got any N's left. Yeah. Or we'll use the U. Or we haven't got any I's. We'll just chop a bit off of this. We don't have an exclamation mark. Yeah. Or we'll make one. All of that is, again, quite unique to this typeface. Like, you don't yeah. see that much uh, elsewhere. So... Yeah, and, and again, the other thing is geographically, it's predominantly East Coast America as well. Mm. So um, that's something that we, we didn't necessarily appreciate early on. And it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's, it's very much a geographic story as well. Yeah. So I hope one day maybe you'll, one day you'll be in New York or somewhere and you'll be like, go into a little back shop, like a vintage store, and you're like, there's the die cutting machine with all the letters. I mean, like you know, there was a, we did find a, a I found a, a, a company which had a very promising name. So they, I'll tell you, I don't know if to put it on there, but they were called Athletic Dico. 
okay. they were they that's what they did and i they were operated from like the 60s through to the 80s and i found the nephew of the guy and he was like <laughs> that looks like one of ours and i pushed him he never got back to me but looks like one of ours well it could look like a lot of things right so who knows we we have a lot of information some of which came to light after the book about you know possibly who the manufacturer was um and it was a bit of a backyard you know kind of operation yep. um which we would always assume um whether we'll ever really figure it out i mean we can always find out who made them that's another not necessarily who designed it um we, we don't really know and we'll probably never really get the full story now because you know some of the people we need to talk to aren't around anymore no. Um, you know, we, you know, finding things. We thought the story was solved when we found the guy. You know, who, who, the main guy you would get them off of in in Brooklyn. You know, we we kind of managed to track him down, um, which actually ultimately wasn't as hard as as we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he he could only just about remember where he got them from. Right. Uh, you know, and he definitely didn't have any contact. I mean, we're talking 30, 40 years ago now. So. I suppose if yeah. you're living in that moment of culture, it's not necessarily something. So you take it for granted, probably, 100%. don't you? Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of the people even that we connected with about the book, we want to use this image. Oh, okay. You know, do they still have the image? You know, um, you know, we, we might find it online. It'd be a tiny little low-resolution JPEG that shot on a crappy phone. They, they actually don't have the original, or they might not have, you know, might have been a friend of a friend yeah. trying to track down those original images, because for those people, it was a snapshot, and it wasn't necessarily something they really thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they certainly, like everything, you know, to the point where it became passe, like it wasn't cool anymore to do that, and people yeah. moved away from it, so they probably wouldn't have kind of kept those, those things. And the, the same with the garments. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to get about 20 original garments or collect them over time. Sometimes, sometimes people have got in touch with us, but the majority of me just yeah. sourcing them. Uh, but very few of them are what we call them civilian garments. They're not right. the ones that are famous or that are in any of the photos, mm-hmm. really. And they'll be, you know, very personal ones for, you know, people's birthdays or whatever. So, um, yeah, it, it is... Um, so by its very nature, it's quite fleeting. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hang around. Which, that's quite, I yeah. think that's quite interesting because, and as well, I know from reading your book, there's been a few other brands that have tried to create it because it's still. We, I know you talk about the hip hop and the punk rock, but actually, there's even in the last sort of five, ten years, there's been moments where people have tried to capture it but not quite yeah. got there as well. hundred percent. I mean, people have done some people have done a better job than others, but what we see is, especially within streetwear, so brands like Supreme that have obviously been a huge influence on, on fashion within the last twenty years. Uh, they, you know, from New York, you know, a great way for them to sort of represent street, you know, or their kind of roots and things like that is to utilize this typeface and, and they did a brilliant job um, and we go into it in the book and we, we talk to the designer of recreating it but they didn't have original letters to kind of yeah. pull from so some people do a better job than others but that is all part of the story you yeah. know like so you know even when we've recreated it and things like that ours is not going to be necessarily 100% accurate and even within we have multiple original letters and a lot of them you can take you know different letters and they're not actually the same you know the very process of making the dyes and everything dyes spread over time they blunt mm-hmm. you know if you're just copying one letter to another letter and you don't have the original then you so know there's like a gener- of dyes yeah, yeah generational degradation all that kind of stuff so i mean it's an analog process um yeah so yeah and then so today we're in waste on yeah. hackney road they kind of won the next phases of yeah. the um, the font and the heated words journey. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing here today as you're kind of spreading the next, maybe onto the next generation and another part of this weaving story? For sure. So we, um, 
you know, since the book came out, even before the book, we've done these pop-ups where uh, we have our own version of the lettering that we produced, and we, uh, you know, invite people to come in and we'll, we'll, we'll make shirts. So it's basically replicating the original process, and we do it as, you know, kind of um, traditionally as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, we lay the letters down, we do it. There's no, you know, nothing's done digitally, nothing's uh, done beforehand. We do it all live on the night. Uh, and tonight we're doing it at Waste in London, which is a great store. Waste is very much rooted in, in sort of DIY culture, zines, that kind of thing. So it's a really good kind of connection there to, to what the book is all about. Um, uh, and it's a great location. It's, you know, on Hackney Road in London. Um, we're excited to be here. It's kind of a little, a pop-up. You know, we've done other events that have been more kind of exhibition-based or have been more around the content within the book, but this is really more about just kind of making some T-shirts and, and, and uh, having some roots. Yeah, exactly. So well, thank you very much for sharing that story with us. I think no it's fascinating. Um, I'd encourage everyone to check out the book if you can. I've, I've got a copy of it and read it, and it's really, really interesting. For garment decorating nerds, this is a must uh, because it's just the whole, it's a real journey to this. It's not just a case, it's not just pretty pictures. It's trailing this whole thread through, which I think is really interesting. Um, I encourage everyone to follow Heated Words on Instagram. Um, because you'll be able to see more of this journey. Every time I speak to you, it seems like you've uncovered a new layer Always, to yeah. this onion, and there's a new place or a new reference where you found in pop culture where this exists. Yep. So it's an ever-growing story, which we hope, in a way I hope, almost hope you don't find out the answer, because it's I'm more fun same. that way. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always going on, and if anybody out there knows any more or they've, yeah. they've got some ideas, let, let us know. Yeah, leave a comment, and I'll get it, forward it on to Charlie so he can find out about it.